chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. I think it would have been uh, a lot easier if Jesus uh, didn't tell us to ask. If he didn't teach us things like uh, in Matthew 7, he says, um, ask and it will be given to you. Uh, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. He said, for anyone and everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Or where he said in John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Or when he said just right before that in John 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And of course, our text this morning, Matthew 6, give us today our daily bread. It would have been easier if Jesus didn't say this. It would actually would have made Christianity a lot more intellectually palpable if Jesus didn't say these words. Sure, these are great, great verses to put on our refrigerator or needlepoint stitch and hang on our walls in the hallway, but as something that you can measure and verify, maybe not so much. These verses are the easy off-ramp for so many followers of Jesus. This is where they get off the bus. This has been the crack that has turned into the crevasse that has led to the Grand Canyon of doubt in Jesus' words and the words of the Bible. I've seen it firsthand. Because these words are so extreme and they promise so much, at some level you have to explain them away, right? Like we have to explain these verses away. Like they can't just mean what we think they mean. Either you have to say, well, Jesus probably didn't really say these exact words probably says something like that, but these were added later when they were retelling the story of Jesus. He didn't really say these words. Or you have to say, well, Jesus must not have meant it like we read it. There are probably, and there are clauses, there's cause and effects, there's if-then statements. And most of us get the ifs wrong, so we don't get the thens. And when we do that, when we explain this away, we do that because we live in a world where we've asked for something ourselves. We've asked for something in Jesus' name. We've asked for something, maybe where you were really abiding in God and you felt connected to Jesus. You've asked for something that didn't happen. We've asked, we've sought, we've knocked, and no one came to the door. See, the first part of Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer as we call it, traditionally, is all about God. The very first part, everything that we've been talking about in the Lord's Prayer so far has been about God. And to be honest, it's easier to pray God prayers. See, all the phrasing in the first part of the Lord's Prayer, it uses the personal pronoun, your. Hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are cosmic prayers, as we've talked about, about God's will and God's kingdom and his character being brought to the earth. And I find these prayers exhilarating. I love walking the streets of San Francisco praying them. I love sitting at my home early in the morning praying them. These prayers light me up inside. I love praying kingdom come prayers. But not only do I find them exhilarating, I honestly find them easier to pray. Because they're easier to release control of. What I mean is, I can pray, your kingdom come here, or your will be done there, and then I can release control to God and not, that, not get that emotionally connected to my prayers. I can watch, walk the streets of San Francisco and like, your kingdom come over here. Your kingdom come over there. And because they're cosmic prayers, they kind of tend to be a little bit more vague prayers. And because I don't know exactly what they will look like when they're answered, I can pray with some distance. I can say, your kingdom come to our politics. What is that going to look like? I don't know. But God, do it. And your will be done on our streets. What does that look like? And because we don't know exactly what that looks like, we can stay a little distance, a little distant emotionally. But when we start praying for our needs, see right here in our text, the pronoun changes to a first person personal pronoun. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us, deliver us. It turns to us now. Jesus, when he's, when he's teaching us to pray, it's like the first part of your prayer are all God prayers, God prayers, God prayers, but doesn't it end there? And then it turns to your, you, your daily needs, our daily needs, simple needs, like the simplest thing, easiest thing in the world, bread. Just daily bread. See, when we start to pray for our needs, when I start to pray for my needs and my desires, and my hopes, and even my wants, well, everything changes. Emotionally, everything changes. Because these things get intensely personal and incredibly specific. This is why it's easier to pray for other people and to keep prayer requests really vague. I remember one time we were doing um, <clears throat> one of the, uh, the um, community nights that we were doing this summer, and, and uh, one of the exercises we were get in groups and share prayer requests on one night. And I remember speaking to a few people that I had never met at our church, and everyone, except for one person, kept the, kept the prayer requests super, super vague. How can I pray for you? Um, my friend needs work. Okay, cool. But it was like so vague. It was like so like, friend, who's your friend? They need work. What, are they, what does that mean? They did, no one wanted to really make it personal. No one, everybody was like, I need to keep this distant. I don't really know you. I'm not going to open up my prayer life to you right now. I'm not going to be like, I need this thing. That's way too personal. See, we love, we could love praying for other people. We might even be on the prayer team. Like, I love praying for other people. That's amazing. But when it gets to what do you need, what does your daily bread look like? You're like, oh, I don't need anything. I just need God. <laughs> what that does is keep, allows you to keep God at a distance, Right? It's like, I don't need to actually breach that thing because I don't want to be disappointed. Because we no longer are praying more vague prayers of like kingdom and will, we start praying when we have to pray personal, specific prayers. This is where it gets tricky because when we start praying, God, can you help me with my depression? God, can you heal my daughter? 
God, can you provide me a job? These are very specific. We know if they're answered or not. If we ask for prayer, we know when they're answered or not. Like, how's your depression? Did God heal, answer that prayer? Yes or no? You know immediately. Did God heal your daughter? You know immediately. Did God, do you have a job or not? You know right immediately. Because they are this specific, we know if they are answered or not. And because they are personal, we are heartbroken when they are not answered. So here's, I don't typically give you the thesis of my sermon, but here it is. This is like my thesis for my sermon. You could, you could take a picture of this and, and you know, like um, sit with this for a while because this is it. I, I just try to articulate it so you have it. Here it is. The part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to ask is where things get a lot more difficult and messier for us as people who relate with God. Because here is where our relationship with God gets more involved and we are left with the option to keep God at a distance or engage in deep and messy relationship with him. Therefore, asking is at the heart of prayer and relationship with God. This part of the prayer is when it gets really personal. It gets really messy because you're engaging your like, your needs, your wants, your desires with God, your daily things that you need every single day. You're engaging with God, and this is messy. And you're opening up yourself to God. Now, I want to show you for the rest of our time how this works. First, a personal story. Several years ago, I really got into contemplative prayer. I'm still into it, but I got really into contemplative prayer. I got into silence and solitude uh, to my wife. She's like, where are you going? I'm going to go be silent with God. So I'm leaving, like out. And I'm, a, I'm a kind of an extrovert. So like, this, is like, this was like new to me. I'm like, alone. Mm, I like this. And I would just leave. I would just go to the mountains or something. I would just leave for the day up to the Marin headlands or something. I would just leave and just be silent with God. And I would love it. I would be, I would, um, I felt it really good for my soul. I would pray things historically. Um, I pray things in contemplative prayer called the, something called the Jesus Prayer. Um, where I would sit in silence and through breath prayer pray, uh, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. I pray this over and over and over again, opening my mind and my heart to God, focusing on God, allowing distractions like to fade away, and really meditating on God. Silent, sit silent with God. And this was such a gateway to peace and recentering for me. And I loved it. I loved it. I actually even afterwards taught on it at, 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 at like a mystic series that we did, which I still deeply believe in and I love so, so much. I actually got addicted to it. I wanted to be silent before God. And I thought, I actually thought this was the height of prayer. When people wanted to do prayer requests, I'm like, no, no, no. Let's just sit <laughs> and be silent. This is what I actually was like, I, this is the height of prayer. This is the height of prayer. And I also found, because of this, that my relationship with God was a lot less rocky, a lot less volatile. And I realized it was because I was never disappointed with God, because I was ne never asking God for anything. No requests. And I realized, over time, that this was actually the way I related to my parents. I had to learn to just enjoy them, because it was really hard to count on them in certain times in my life. So instead of being disappointed with them, I just stopped asking and I stopped expecting. They couldn't disappoint me. Problem solved. But not really, 
Because when you cut out requests and expectations, you also cut out intimacy, vulnerability, and relatability. You remove all of that as well. Let me share with you another personal story. This used to happen, it used to happen a lot more than it does now. Now, it, it does happen fairly, fairly infrequently, but it used to happen a lot when Ash and I were first married, maybe the first 10 years of marriage, maybe 18, anyway, probably the first part of our marriage. When Ashley and I fight, like really fight, like get angry at each other and don't want to talk to each other until we cool off like a week later, the f- so I said, whoa. <laughs> Anyone else? You think that's hyperbole? No. The first thing to go in our marriage when we fight, the first thing to go is requests. We don't ask anything of each other. And when we do have to ask, we hate it. Like, I need you to move the car. So I get out of the driveway. Like it took all their emotional energy to ask for something. We hate asking. The first thing that we pull in our relationship is requests. All of a sudden, we're both super self-sufficient. Like, Ashley loves to cook. She, one of her love languages is cooking for me and the family. And I'll be like, I'm going out to eat now. And it really pisses her off. I mean, she gets really angry. She's like, oh, yeah? And I don't know. I wanna, it just gets, it gets bad. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that with my actions, I'm saying this to her, I don't need you. I got this. I can do life on my own. Why? Because there's an aspect of asking and requesting that is at the heart of vulnerability. When you're asking something from someone and someone that you love, this is a part of being vulnerable with that person. We don't ask because we don't want to be vulnerable with another person. And I notice this, like right away, all of a sudden, as soon as we're angry, I'm like, I'm, I'm pulling my request. She's like, I'm pulling my request. Like, I don't need you, I don't need you. This is, this, why? Because this, asking is vulnerable. So when Ash and I want to emotionally cut the other person off, we'll simply stop asking things from each other. Now, like I said, we've grown a ton. We don't hardly ever do this anymore. I mean, literally hardly ever. But I remember we used to go days at a time, this was the case, before a lot of therapy and all this other stuff, but days at a time, the way that we would relate. Now back to the question, why is asking at the heart of prayer? Why is asking at the heart of prayer, and why does God require that we ask? God actually requires that we ask. He says you have to ask. Pray for your daily bread. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. I need you to ask. Why is asking the heart of prayer, and why does God require we ask? Here's why. Because asking rests at the heart of relationship and vulnerability. Asking is right in the center of relationship. It's right in the center of vulnerability. See, there is a sense that God already knows what we need before we pray. Jesus even said that right before he goes into the Lord's Prayer. Literally, the verse right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Therefore, pray like this, our Father in heaven. He goes on. So Jesus says right before, don't just say all these words. God knows what you need before you ask. 
If God knows what you need before you ask him, why does he want you to ask? Relationship, that's why. Relationship. P.T. Forsyth, a great Scottish theologian who wrote like a seminal work on prayer, he said, love loves to be told what it already knows. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. This is one of the aspects of relationship with God, that God being love, loves to be told what he knows. He loves to be asked for what he longs to give. This is at the heart of relationship. This is at the heart of love. Sunday night in our house is family movie night. It's almost as sacred as Sunday mornings for us. Family movie nights, I protect this time. This is the time when we order takeout and we all sit in the living room and choose a movie to watch together. And every Sunday night, my daughter Juniper will ask me, can we have family movie night tonight? And I love it when she asks me that. I, I know, family movie nights tonight. When she asks me, I'm like, yes, absolutely we're gonna have family movie night tonight. She'll ask me, but she'll also ask me this question on Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and fr literally, and Friday, and Saturday night. Every single night, we're about to get, Dad, can we have family movie night tonight? And I have to say no. I love it when she asks me, but I have to say no. I love the request, because the request is based on relationship and shared experience. I love when we do this thing together, can we do it more? Now, I'll be sad when the day comes when she stops asking. See, I want my daughter and my son to grow up to become more self-sufficient and wiser, for sure, as to not to have to ask me for certain things. But I don't ever want to get to the point with them where they're not asking me for something, and I'm asking them for something. Actually, I want to have a relationship with my kids and with my wife and with my friends that go that the deeper we go in relationship, the more bold we can be in our requests of what we ask each other. The, 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 the very, very famous mystic John of the Cross says that friendship is a question of attaining boldness with each other. Friendship is a question of attaining boldness with each other. When we have grown in relationship with someone, when we have touched each other's lives deeply, we can be bold with each other. We can ask each other for help. We can, we, can, we can ask each other to be present without needing an excuse or share our deepest feelings with each other. Good friendship inspires boldness, and not just that, it inspires vulnerability. I have a good friend who lives in Carpinteria who's been a, a really, really, really close friend of mine for a better part of maybe 15 years. And several months ago, I was in L.A., for a conference thing that we were doing, and I was driving up north to do a wedding, and I was passing through his house, and I asked him a few weeks ago, hey, I'm passing your house, could I come visit you and stay the night at your house and then keep going on my travels? He's like, absolutely. Well, I don't know. I might be actually hunting that day. He's a hunter and all that stuff. And so we're going back and forth, going back and forth, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold this day aside for you to come. Just let me know if you're coming or not for sure. And I kind of, sometimes I do this, I kind of think, it's a lock, I don't really have to, it's, he already said uh, it's good, I forget to like thumbs it up or like tell him yes or confirm. So I didn't confirm until like the day before. And actually the day before I was going through some like, I was, I was pretty emotionally low. Things that were going on and a couple other friendship things that were happening, a couple other things happening in my life where I really needed time with this friend. 
And I text him like, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. He's like, oh, dude, I already planned something. You never got back to me. I'm like going to Channel Islands. Like I'm taking a boat and I'm gone. And I'm like, what? You said I was, I was coming to your house. She's like, but you never got back to me. I'm like, well, I said, but, I, and we were going back and forth and it was just miscommunication. And I had, a, I, had this, I had this choice. I was in my hotel room, I had this choice. I can either be really vulnerable with him as a friend and ask a bold ask or just let it go and just go, you know what? Friends burn each other all the time. I feel burnt, I'm just gonna move on. And I chose to send him a voice note and tell him what was going on. What was going on in my, in my life, in my, like, in my heart, in my, like, just I was low and I was really needing, I'd really love to see you and I, I, need, I wanted to love a place to stay that night and all this other stuff. And he gets back, he's like, I'll change my plans. I'll get home, be at my house at five, we'll have dinner, we'll listen to music, we'll stay up late and we'll hang out in the morning. And it took this like, that base of relationship to ask, could you change your plans for me? That's a bold ask. Could you change like your plans? It was like a work plan too, so it was like harder to change. Like, can you change your plans for me? Because I need it. I feel like I need it. And if you say no, I'm gonna feel like even more like I threw myself out there and I felt burnt. But this is what relationship does. See, one of the tasks of prayer is to attain this kind of boldness with God, to try to reach the point where we are comfortable enough with God to ask for help, to ask for our daily needs, to ask for our desires. This is the relationship that Moses had with God, that Moses would ask God these really, really crazy requests. There's times when God was gonna destroy the Israelites and Moses was like, God, God, God. If you do that, if you just, I mean, I, they deserve it, believe me, I'm with them. <laughs> they deserve all the smoting you got, like this, they deserve it all. But if you do that, everyone will know that you brought us out of Egypt and you are the one that, that took us to kill us and then your name will be just like profaned among the nations. Don't do it. According to your own faithfulness and love. And it says that God changed his mind or God relented or God changed. God just said, okay, you're right. Like, what is that? That's insane that God would listen to and we see this throughout scripture. God would listen to our prayers in a way that's, let me be so bold, can I ask this? He actually, Moses actually did this with, or Abraham did this with, with Lot in Sodom. It's like, God, if you, you're gonna destroy that city, now that city deserves being destroyed, but what if, what if there was like righteous people in there? It was like 100. Would you destroy it? And God's like, no, I wouldn't destroy it for 100. And he's like, all right, all right, what about 90? What about, and he gets all the way down to 10. What if 10? He's like, I wouldn't do it for that. He gets from basically God to like, okay, according to your own character, don't destroy it, and here's why you don't destroy it. And actually, if you do destroy it, let me get this person out here. And like, this is the relationship that people have with God. Like, if I could be so bold to ask this thing. This is literally what a life of prayer looks like when we ask for our daily needs. Now, this is also the hardest part of prayer because when we're vulnerable with God, we risk being disappointed. This is why many of us choose to over-spiritualize prayer. We over-spiritualize prayer when we make a prayer super spiritual exercise and detach from our everyday existence and thus keep God away from our personal lives. We like super-spiritualizing in two ways. <clears throat> Here's the two ways that I think we over-spiritualize prayer. The first way is we submit to God's will too quickly. Now, that might sound super strange, but hear me out. Whatever's going on in life, like, God, you will be done. God, you will be done. God, you will be done. And we never show up to God as a person with needs. We never show up to God as who we really are. 
We always, we, we just like, oh, whatever. God, you're going to do that. Oh, God, you're going to do that. God, you're sovereign. You're going to do everything. And you never show up to God with like, God, I really, really want this. And I want to contend for this thing. And I want to ask you. I want to be bold. I want to know you. We don't show up to God as a person. So we bring to God someone that we're not. Or we bring to God someone we think we should be, like the best version of ourselves, and thus we never are changed by God, and we can never really encounter God because God is only known in reality. And if we don't bring the real, our real selves to God, that's not bringing reality to God. God can only be known in reality. That's one way we over-spiritualize it. But the other way, and this is probably more common, is that we don't pray for things that we think are selfish or material, and thus, we never allow God into these parts of our lives. I'm so guilty of this. One example would be like, if you want a promotion, you don't really think of to ask God for a promotion. It feels too selfish to God. God could have a promotion, so instead you work for one. I'll just work really hard. I won't bring God into it. I'll just do the work, and I'll work overtime. I'll work harder. I'll apply myself, and we completely leave God out of this part of our lives. Like, I want this thing. I'm just going to do it and I won't bring God into it. And this is the way that we actually just like, like we, we, we spiritualize something to the point of like, God must not care about this thing. And we move into this way. And both of these ways try to keep God out of our daily lives because that would actually make us vulnerable. Which brings us back to the beginning. What about when God doesn't answer these prayers? What about when God doesn't do what we ask? What if we actually do get bold in our relationship with God, and we start asking for certain things that we need, and they don't happen. C.S. Lewis says that every war, every famine or plague, almost every deathbed is the monument to a petition that was not granted. I want to say this, first of all, this is a problem. And it's, it's not a, an imagined problem, it's a real problem of prayer. It is a real problem that Jesus had asked and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. If you ask in my name, if you abide in me and you ask, I will do it. There's a, that's, this is a problem. And I can't solve this problem. Any real solutions that I or anyone else gives are only partial and will not make the problem go away. There are things that we ask of God and they, they do not happen. This very, this last week, Ash and I were on our knees praying about something. I know about, about, actually a, about a little girl who was in ICU and was almost dying, and she ended up dying by the end of the week. And it's, it's like soul-crushing. It's so hard. And this is a problem. But it also remains that the rule of the kingdom is to ask. Charles Spurgeon says, asking is the rule of the kingdom. God says to his own son, ask me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. If the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favor. If you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. Prayer is so vital to our lives with God. There are some things that you will pray for that will not happen. Why? Why won't they happen? Richard Foster in his book on prayer says, there's a few different reasons why prayer, first of all, it's a problem. It is, it just is a problem. You can't make it go away. It is a problem. It's like the problem of evil, theodicy, that's what theologians call it. This is a problem, but it, is, it remains. But sometimes, 
He says, from the vantage point of the age to come, the things that we pray, we're glad that God didn't answer our prayers. Anyone ever pray a prayer that God didn't answer? You're like, oh my gosh, thank you (laughs) for not answering my prayer. Absolutely, yes. But maybe God did answer our prayer, but we don't have the eyes to see the answer. Maybe we've prayed for something, and the actual fruit of that prayer or like the ethos of that prayer, the kernel of that prayer, the thing that we're really after, God knows. And he did answer that prayer, but it came in a different way and we can't, we can't see it. See, there's <clears throat> something very childlike, not childish, but childlike, independency that is at the center of us asking and relating to God this way. Jesus said that we should be like little children. And there is nothing more childlike than asking and keep asking. Is it family movie night? Is it family movie night? And honestly, sometimes it's a Thursday, I'm like, yeah, it is tonight. We've had, mom and dad had a long day. It is family movie night. <laughs> keep asking. <clears throat> I wanna close with um, a reading from a book I'm reading right now. So here it is, here's my little reading stool. If you remember from last time. It's not a children's book this time, it is a novel. I was reading recently, um, and uh, if you ever get the Image Journal, which I highly recommend, it's like a journal of art and poems and all these things. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, he's been to our church before. Um, I have, I've met with him a few times, not like super close, but Jamie Smith, James K.A. Smith is the editor-in-chief of this. And he was writing, he writes an article at the beginning of every Image Journal. He talks about how <clears throat> activism in our world needs poets. And the reason why activism and activists need poets and mathematicians need poets and all these people who work in like the like raw data, like we need to move the needle, need poets, is because we need, we need novelists and poets to really show us how the world works. So I'm reading this book, <clears throat> novel called The Brothers K. I don't know if you've read it, James, um, David James Duncan. And I'm not that far in it, so don't give it away. I'm like literally like just started it like this week. But, um, but there's this little section in here uh, that I wanted to read to you. So it's about a page and a half. So to set this up, there's a, um, a mom in the story who's very religious, goes to church on Sabbath every single week, and the dad who's very unreligious, but he's an ex-baseball player, and he wants to watch baseball on Sabbath, but he's never allowed to because mom doesn't allow the TV to be on on Sabbath. So he doesn't watch baseball, and he's not allowed to drink beer because mom had an alcoholic father um, and all this other stuff. And there's um, five kids in the middle one, um, He's writing this from, the, from this vantage point. He's young in this, this part of the story. And uh, mom and dad get into a fight. Mom leaves, and it's Sabbath, and it's only him and his dad at home. He's like, this is a miracle. It's Sabbath. We don't have to go to church. Mom's not here. We're watching baseball. But not just that. Dad went to the store to get beer, and he does not ever, doesn't ever drink beer in the house. Not allowed to. So he just gets an icebox full like a 12-pack like a of beer, 20-pack. I don't know. It's a giant thing of beer, and he just starts hammering beers. And so the, the son gets nervous because he's not ever been around his dad drinking. And he has, he, he grew up outside of Portland. He just remembers drunks in Portland with like, you know, mustard color eyes and yellow teeth and like stumbling all around. He goes, I'm afraid of drunks. And my mom tells me stories about her dad. So if my dad gets drunk, is he going to beat me? Is my dad gets drunk, is he going to turn to these, like these people that live on the streets of Portland? Like this is what he's saying. So he's young. So he says this. Um, Where's, where was, I'm sorry. Okay, here it is, okay. <clears throat> um, 
He was, he was also the reason why, when we got home, Papa lined his whole case of Luckies, that's the beer, up in the icebox like he planned on drinking them all that night. I went straight to the bathroom, locked the door, and got down on my knees to pray, because he's scared. I had mixed luck with prayer lately, and wasn't all that high on it, but this time, I gave it my very best shot. Keeping my eyes squeezed shut, calling Jesus thee instead of you, sticking ifs on the ends of my words like beggeth and beseecheth, <laughs> just like the elders did at church. I explained the whole situation. I told how Papa and Mama had a big fight and how he had a beer and, and how he and a beer had been the cause of it and how Papa was out there drowning himself with nobody to save him but me. I reminded him, God, how Mama's awful old man used to beat up his sons when they, got, when they hit his whiskey and how Papa might do the same if I hit his beer and how I knew he, he loved little children such as myself and wanted to, to seek us to seek help whenever we were in trouble. And this is trouble, I told him. So if you would, disappeareth the rest of Papa's beers for me. <laughs> Lord, I would appreciate it. I thank thee, amen. I felt pretty good afterwards, just like the elder said you should feel. I'd taken a big, fat crisis off my own shoulders and loaded it all on Jesus which seemed unfair in a way, but it was exactly what the Bible recommended. It got boring in the bathroom then, but I stayed five minutes to allow things to happen, knowing that working with a guy like Christ, you had to be willing to make some sacrifices. <laughs> then I went to the kitchen to check the results, and I found all 19 of the undrunk luckies still standing in the icebox, and 20th out by the TV, sliding down Papa's throat. I admit I wasn't surprised by the result, but I was annoyed by it. In fact, I fired off another prayer, leaving out the ifs and the these this time, to let Jesus know that only a wise guy would think that I was asking for the beers to disappear down, Papa. <laughs> but then he started answering me in my head the way he does sometimes. He made me remember, for instance, that he knew everything. He knew, for example, that I had soap, Mahoney's, this is the guy at the drugstore, where they got the beer. Soap Mahoney's Lucky Bazooka gum right in my pocket. And I could have easily have made a wish to disappear, uh, disappear the beer on that, on that piece of gum. Feeling selfish, I admitted that I was kind of hoping to save the Lucky Gum. But God helps those who help themselves right, he said. Where in the Bible does it say that, I asked. The Bible doesn't say that. You say that. All I know, I, I argued, is that I asked for your help in a crisis, and as usual, I didn't get it. It's your father, kid, and your lucky bazooka. Think about it, God said. What a friend I have in Jesus, I snapped right back. But he just laughed. He could see right through me. We both knew I was just being greedy with a lucky gum. I stomped back into the living room and refused to give up even a corner of, the piece of, a, corner of a piece while Papa drowned his fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth beer. I grew so sure he was going to pass out or puke or smash windows or beat me any second that it took me a long time to notice that he stayed fairly normal, except that he belched more and ducked out to pee a lot. But he was better than normal in other ways. For instance, he talked back to all the people on TV, imitating their silly voices and faces, making uh, smart Alec jokes at the idiotic stories, and arguing with everything the commercials tried to sell us, sell us, just like Everett likes to do. And when I asked if I could sit on his lap, even though I'm too big for that sort of thing, he let me do it. We watched TV until 11.30, three hours past my normal bedtime, and after a while, I felt so peaceful watching him guzzle beer 
and make wisecracks half, I halfway wish he'd get bombed every night. <laughs> Last thing I remember, he was carrying me up to bed. I weigh a ton, but eight beers and all, he never once staggered. So after he slid me under the covers and kissed me goodnight, I shot off another sleepy prayer just to forgive Jesus for not answering the prayer I prayed earlier. I suppose he knew all along how much beer Papa can hold. Who knows, maybe Papa had prayed himself. Maybe he asked Jesus to let him drink his fill in his own house in peace for once and begged him to ignore anybody who sent up a message to the contrary. <laughs> prayer is mysterious, and God is even worse. I don't completely understand it yet. I was very moved when I read that um, before bed the other night. I was moved because there is something very childlike about this kind of relationship with God that I think we lose when we grow up and we get more intellectual. This like back and forth, what if, maybe God did answer my prayer, maybe he didn't, I'm gonna walk in mystery, I'm gonna tell God this, I'm gonna and we, we forget to bring our whole selves to God in request. And so I'd like for us just to stand. Would you stand with me? And I'd like for us to begin to whatever gets in the way, whatever is coming up for you that gets in the way of you relating to God and making requests, personal requests to God. I want to pray that these surface so that during our time of response, God could be at work in these areas. So would you open your hands with me? Lord God, would you bring up the things, the ways that we are so afraid to relate to you, the reasons and, and the ways that we are so guarded? I feel a sense that there are a lot of people like me who are so afraid of being disappointed that they don't even ask you for things because they'd much rather keep you at a distance. I pray that these walls would become porous and that you would walk through these walls that we put up like you did with the disciples after the resurrection. And that you would come into our little hideouts where we hide ourselves from you and you would just say, peace, be still. In Jesus' name.